Okay, so now we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with I am your host, Floyd Marshall Jr. And I am here with the amazing Nye McGee. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about this phenomenal woman who, again, I met via Clubhouse. I'm telling you, Clubhouse is, wow, you meet the way the way things are working. That is where you're meeting everyone that is someone on Clubhouse. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Nye. And when I read her bio, something immediately stuck out. Anai McGee is an entertainment reporter, screenwriter, consultant, and founder of the multimedia company, Naya Utopia. She has over 15 years of experience working in the film industry in areas, including production and post-production and marketing, distribution, and acquisition. She has worked for legendary film producer Roger Corman, Quentin Tarantino's production team at Miramax, the late Larry Flint, MTV, VH1, Hallmark Channel, Paramount, Jim Henson Company, Parade Magazine, and various LA-based companies representing above-the-line talent. Nye, welcome yes. to a conversation with How Are You? I'm good. How are you? Thank okay. you for having me, Floyd, on your show. Welcome to a conversation with where we sit down with some amazing people in the film, media, and entrepreneurial space. We're going to talk about what makes them successful, and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business, but more importantly, to maximize your life. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with, and I'm your host, Floyd Marshall Jr., Yes, yes, yes. I like to bring interesting people on that are, you know, doing things and that I learn from. So, again, when when we're in the clubhouse rooms, you know, oftentimes, even when I'm on stage, uh, I'm, I'm listening as well as, you know, giving out information. And, you know, you, you always have so much phenomenal information. But I have to ask, is it that Larry Flint, that Larry Flint? It is that Larry Flint. I worked for Larry Flint. Okay, so here's the deal. When I initially moved to Los Angeles, and you know, when anybody moves to LA for the first time, you need a job, right? So um, I got a job. Larry Flint owns the Hustler store in LA. If you live, if you live in LA, you're familiar with Sunset Boulevard. There's the Hustler store. Although I don't know if it's still there. I feel like maybe they tore it down some years ago, or sold it and remodeled it to like another a club i'm not sure but yeah i worked at the hustler store and the hustler store if you're not familiar it was literally a coffee shop and a porno magazine shop attached in one so the front of the store there's coffee you can get your coffee your muffins and then in the back of the store is like kind of like a adult services you know porn magazines porn movies sex toys so larry flint came in there maybe once a week his team would kind of wheel him in there, not trying to be funny, the man's in a wheelchair, but his team would kind of wheel him in there to get his smoothies. The man loves bananas. And so I worked in the coffee shop, mostly in the coffee shop. I didn't have any dealings with the porn store Mm -hmm. unless they were shorthanded. But often, very often, I would have to make Larry Flint's um, banana smoothies and he'd come up, get his smoothie and, you know, extra, extra bananas. So he was a really cool guy. I mean, before I actually met him, mm-hmm. 
his handlers. I don't know if Larry Flint himself was responsible for this, but my intro to kind of like the adult entertainment industry in LA, you know, some of his handlers came up to me once and asked me, now you have to keep in mind, this is I was in my early twenties, you know, about 50, 60 pounds lighter. <laughs> so his, his team comes up to me and they're like, have you ever thought about posing in the magazine? You know, do you want to do any adult work on the side? And, you know, I'm clearly not that type of girl. So mm-hmm. I turned it down. But that was like my pre-introduction to the world of Larry Flint before I actually start making his banana smoothie. So, yes, that Larry Flint. OK, wow. Yes. Yeah, so, because when I saw that, I said, I don't know of too many Larry Flints. So I have to <laughs> ask, is it, you know, I mean, and. I, you know, I, I did, a, you know, I said, should I do a Google search? But I was like, well, no, there, there's only one Larry Flint that I know of. So, okay. That's, only one that's, Larry Flint. You know, Larry Flint uh, had a lot of young boys grow up. Yeah. Know, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he, he did. was nice enough. You know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't some ball buster kind of guy. Right. You know, he was a cool, listen, the man came in, he was focused. You know, he, 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 he came in with a mission. He came in to get his banana smoothies and that was about it. And he left, you know, he didn't give too much chatter to people, you know, small talk right. to the underlings like myself. But, okay. you know, so I say that I work for him because, yeah, he was my boss. He owned the store yes. and I interacted with him, you know, several times a month serving him smoothie. So, yeah. Wow. wow. So, OK, yeah. so now that I've, I've gotten that out the way, because that was that was burning a hole in my pocket. So how did you get started in, in the uh, in the business? Well, you know. I always wanted to work in the entertainment business. I mean, even as a kid, that was my number one dream. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to do nothing else. It was either work in the entertainment business or um, become a a scientist. Because outside of that, I want to explore space. I wanted to be an astronaut, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting now that I'm in the business and I'm a writer, I find that a lot of the material that I write about centers on science fiction alien invasions, exploring space. But how I got into it, you know, I I was focused at a very young age. I knew that I wanted to go to film school, which I did. Went to film school in Columbia College in Chicago. After graduating film school, I immediately moved to LA, right? And I remember a teacher that I had in college saying, you know, when when you're thinking about, you know, if you're not connected, if you're not born with money, if you're not born with connections, if you don't have like the nepotism thing going on, we all know it's very hard to break into this business, right? So I remember a teacher in film school saying, when you graduate and you don't know what to do once you get out there, okay, lie, lie on your resume, say you need an internship, lie and get your way through the door if you don't have that connect. So that's what I did. You know, after I graduated, I didn't need an internship mm-hmm. per se because I was graduated already, right? right? I didn't really know what an internship would do for me as a graduate uh, of the film school. But I, I sent out resumes anyway, looking for an internship just to get in. And at the time I was focused on editing because a lot of my uh, undergraduate studies was in film and TV editing. So I sent out a couple resumes to a lot of post-production houses. And one of them, one of the resumes that I sent out was to Miramax. Now, at the time, this was in 99. Miramax was a big, like the big studio indie darling. This was before Bob and Harvey Weinstein were like embattled in in scandal, Mm -hmm. particularly Harvey Weinstein. So I got a job 
I saw, you know, they called me in for an internship and literally within a month they hired me. Hmm. So hmm. a month after this intern, I, and I got hired on Quentin Tarantino's main production team is who I got hired to work with. And you can look my boss, my boss at the time, her name was Kim Berman, but I also worked for Shannon McIntosh, who was Kim's boss. Shannon McIntosh, for anybody watching this now or at a later date, you can look up her credits on IMDb. She has long been one of Quentin Tarantino's main executive producers. So when I got a job smack dead working with her, they were in the middle of what was Tarantino working on at the time? I wish I could remember. And he was also, this was yeah, in the 99, he was writing something, they were working on it. And I remember trying to talk to trying to talk to him. He didn't work in the office, but I worked, like I said, I worked on his, work with his team, worked with his, because we were in LA and Quentin had a separate office in LA. So I had direct relations with his um, assistants. And I remember trying to get him on the phone one day and the assistant was like, he can't because he's, you know, he's under pressure to finish the script for, and it might come to me at the, by the end of this, but yeah. So it wasn't Reservoir Dogs, was it? It wasn't Reservoir Dogs because that was out. Was it Kill Bill? I wonder if it was Kill Bill, but I I feel like Kill Bill may have also been out Hmm. as well or either in the can. I need to probably look up his credits while we're doing this interview to see what the film was that he was writing. And I distinctly remember this because when the assistant told me, I'm like, oh, because I had a copy of the script in the office. We had all the scripts, right? So I had a copy of whatever the script was. And I remember asking, hey, can I send over a copy of the script to get him to sign it? And the assistant wouldn't do it. Now, I probably made the mistake because I was really young, green at the time, mm-hmm. like really green in the business. And I, you know, I made the mistake of going through the assistant and I probably should have just gone through my boss. It would have been easier had I gone through my boss, Shannon, who was Quentin's producer. Right. Right. But anyway, so basically that is, that's how I got in. I lied on my resume, said I needed an internship got an intern. It was two companies actually that hit me back. One was a a major post-production editing house in Los Angeles. And the other one was Miramax. And I decided to go with Miramax, obviously. Right. So like I said, after a month working as an intern, they hired me. And what I was doing was at this time, and you know, I'm kind of proud of this because at this time in the nineties, you know, home video was still a thing. VHS tapes, DVDs were still a thing. So you remember when you were watching a DVD and you, you popped in your DVD and even now you pop it, pop in your DVD and it loads up little uh, chapter stops. Yes. It'll load up a, a screen, an image of a scene. Yes. And underneath it is a title to go with that particular scene. Well, I am responsible for maybe all, all of the Miramax dimension titles that were released to DVD VHS, well, DVD in the ni- late ni- 99, 2000, 2001. Wow. When you load a DVD and those chapter stops come up with the titles, I'm responsible for all of those titles. Like, I was the one editing, pulling the clips, working with the editor, like, okay, this is this, this is the, so when the user loads up the DVD and they see that image that they can click on to go to that scene, you know, right. I would pull those scene selections. I gave them the title, so... You know, you won't see my name in there, but right. yeah, they know I did it. You know what I'm saying? So that was my job working in post-production for, and I did that for about a year and a half. Okay. And and so that 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 gig at Miramax really opened the doors, right, for a lot of opportunities. Working at, you know, 
Jim Henson's Muppet Company, Paramount, learning how to, I, I, I couldn't have foreseen it at the time, but one of the producers at the time took me under her wing and she was teaching me how to interview with celebrities. Now at the time, that wasn't anything I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have known like years later that that exactly is what I would have, you know, would be doing. Right. But yeah. Um, and oddly enough, people ask me this really quickly. People ask me when they find out that I worked at Miramax, did I have any r- weird, strange encounters with Harvey and Bob Weinstein considering the um, scandal, right? With with the sex scandal in the Me Too. And I want to say this in case anybody watching is curious to know. Harvey and Bob work in, worked in the New York office. I worked in the L.A. office. I rarely saw them when they came to the L.A. office, but when they did, everybody knew to stay the hell out of their way mm. because mm. The, the, the talk of the office was always how mean Harvey Weinstein is, how much of an a-hole he is. But in the year and a half that I worked there, I never heard anyone say anything about sexual assault, rape, um, raping or jug- drugging, you know, wow. casting couch. Never heard any of that. And again, I worked directly for, you know, there's Harvey and Bob and then the people right under Harvey and Bob. I worked for those people. You know what I'm saying? So it's like Miramax opened the doors. I, I have to say, you know, long, that's a long way of answering your question. How did I get in the business? I lied on my resume, said I need, needed an internship. It worked, got in at uh, Miramax, and now 20 years later, here we are. So that's interesting. What? So you said you went there, and one month later, you were basically working for the production team. Now, how did that happen? Did, did you do anything in particular to where they said, hey, you know what? That, 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 that young lady over there, she is really good. Let's let's basically give her a promotion because that's basically what that was. Yeah. That you're yeah. hired as an intern and then the next month you're working for a major production team. So yeah. what what was it about you that they decided that you were someone that they would actually because that because that's very unusual. I would have to agree. Now, I will say this. It was the the post production team specifically looking for an intern in the in the um in the edit in the post production department. Okay. So I was automatically just put with them because they were looking for the intern. Now, why I got hired, literally, and I remember this. It was over winter, December. It was skeletal crew, and when they came back from with, with full staff at the top of the year um, after the New Year's, January, they're like, "You're on full time." I can only attribute it to this. I was that girl that was there. I was there every day that they needed me. Mm-hmm. I can't say I did anything extraordinary other than what they expected me to do. I was there on time. Um, if I needed to stay late, I stayed late. I didn't gossip in the office. I, I'm always quiet. I'm not. Qui- I'm. I'm social, you know, and a team right. player. But I'm quiet in the office. I stay focused, right? I'm not a chatty Kathy. I think they noticed that. I think they noticed my desire. You know, I was always asking questions. Okay. How do you do this? How do you do that? You know, I always made it a point because these, I just remember things that I learned in film school. You know, go around and ask your supervisors, even if they don't ask you, do you need help with this? 
can I do this for you? You know, just so they know that I'm that girl that they can go to if they need X, Y, and Z. So that's really what I, I, I can only attribute it to that. I had a, um, I think also, I always hear every job I go to, people just like my personality, right? So I think my personality also really gel. I mean, you have to also keep in mind, I was probably one of two black people in that entire department. And the other woman, what the other woman, the other individual was a black woman. Uh, and out of a hand, I mean, the New York office at Miramax had way more employees in the LA office, but still we had well over maybe 20 people in the LA office. Mm. And being one of two blacks, right? <laughs> so you're right. They could have given that internship to anybody. How I lucked up, I can't even tell you. I, I I don't even know. I can only attribute it to my, you know, my winning personality, perhaps, and just being a go-getter, really. And I can tell anybody who's watching this, you know, who is think is is like about to embark on that journey of that next step in Hollywood or the next step of cracking in the business and how do I get in? Once you get in, that is key. Have a winning personality. Don't gossip. (laughs) Number one, do not gossip. I can't stress enough, and this might go off on a tangent, but I want to let you know. No, 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 because you know what they need to to know about this. Yeah, I want especially black viewers to know this, especially black women. Don't gossip on the job. One thing I've learned in the 20 years that I've worked and entertainment, and this applies at any job. People are going to gossip, and they're going to gossip to you because you're a woman, right? Or even you're a man, it doesn't matter. If you want to listen to the gossip, that's one thing. If you participate, please know the only part of the boss gossip that's going to get back to the, the subject of the gossip is what you said, okay? So I think that that has saved my behind in this business is that I've never been one to gossip about people. Like if people want to gossip in the office, I'll listen. But I've never been one to go around telling other people's business business, business in the office because I've seen the I've seen the ripple effect. HR is going to come back to the one that mm-hmm. you know maybe mm-hmm. doesn't quite fit in, or maybe doesn't really belong here, or the one that's filling a quota, or the diversity hire. You know that we're the last hired, first fired. Don't be in the person. Don't give them a reason to be the first fired, if I can say that, right? If you get in, network, 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 network. That's 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 your winning strategy right there. Network and um, be a team player and network. Yeah, it's about building relationships. And also you said something. See, here's the thing. People like people that keep things close to the vest because I don't want you to, to go back and, and start talking about things that you may not have the full story on. You only get half the information because, you know, they used to do this um, exercise when I was in the military years ago. And be, and they just wanted to show us how if an officer gave you an order, how it would change as it went down the line. And he would say something like, OK, you're going to pick up this rifle And you're going to turn around and hand it to the person next to you. And he says, I want you to repeat what I just said. And by the time it got to the end of the line, 
what he said was something entirely what, what they said at the end of the line was entirely different than what came out of that officer's mouth. So that's the same thing with gossiping. So, you know, people are going to embellish, you know, and, and if they don't like the person, they're going to add some things and they're going to put their own spin on it. So it's always good to just stay out of that. And, and something else that you said that really stuck out when you were at Miramax, you asked is there something that I can do for you? And I was uh, on Clubhouse earlier today moderating and this young lady was saying, well, how do I, you know, go about getting an agent or a manager? Uh, I want to email some people and people gave suggestions. And I said, well, how about you try this? Why don't you email them, research them first to see who else they've represented, represented it. And then you email them and you just, you know, say, hey, you know what? You did a really phenomenal job with them. You know, if, if you have time, I'd just like to know what your process was. And Ask them, do they need something from you? Because she said, because I know everyone's emailing them. And I said, you're absolutely right. But everyone's emailing with an ask. With an ask, as opposed to saying, hey, is there something that I can do for you? And I said, now, if you want to stand apart, ask them what they need yes. as opposed to can you do something for me because we're all human they're they're an agent they're a manager you know you're you're at Miramax you're doing what you're doing but you're still someone who hey every now and again it would be nice if somebody asked me hey you you, you want a soda you want a cup of coffee and and that sets that sets you apart so you you were saying that uh, a producer took you under their wing and kind of taught you the ins and outs of interviewing. And, mm -hmm. and when, when, when did that change that you went from doing editing and post-production to segueing into uh, interviewing? How did that happen? Well, I can't really pinpoint how many months into the editing. Once I got hired on full-time as an employee, it had to be a good maybe six months, seven, eight year, perhaps, maybe not even that long. It, it's one of those things where when you're working in post-production and you're working with a, a small post-production crew, you, you find yourself working with the, the post-production editors in very close quarters for hours on end. You build these bonds, you build these relations, and you start, you know, you're sitting in these editing booths for hours and any editors listening and watching will know this. At some point, you kind of break down that wall of professionalism and start getting to know each other on a personal level. And that kind of helped when it came to me and this one producer. And I wish I could remember this, her, her name because she was this very dynamic woman, white woman, um, who had a very strong, she may still, if I could remember her name, strong presence in the, in the business at the time, producing a lot of featurettes and, and red carpet content for behind, you know, like behind the, behind the scenes programming. And just working with her and post and then going to traveling with her to post houses mm -hmm. to finish work with other clients. Uh, one day she just decided, I don't know why I don't I can't say that I ever told her I wanted to interview celebrities. Looking back on it, I think she was probably training me to produce featurettes and produce back behind the scenes segments that appear, you know, when you watch DVDs and they have like the segments, you know, the never before seen this mm -hmm. or the director commentary segments, we would work on those type of features together, right? And so part of that was interviewing the talent 
for their movies like Wes Craven when we were working with you know, the Wes Craven titles for Dimension and like the Scream titles. And I know what you did last summer. And I remember working with the beautiful Italian actress. Oh God, what is her name? She was in The Matrix and she was in this movie called Milena. Well, we worked with her on Milena. But I just remember her, now that I'm thinking about it, I never really thought about it until now. Now that I'm speaking it out, I I feel like maybe she was training me to produce. Hmm. And, um... Hmm. It's not that it's not even something we even talked about. She's just like, hey, you're coming with me, you know, on on my normally she would have an assistant. But it was one of those things where she's like, you know what, I'm going to cover this red carpet event for this. I'm going to interview this person. I want you to stand here and do this. You're going to hold the microphone. You're going to ask this person this question. I'll be in the background doing this. And it just and I'll tell you something that experience I had wanted to, before I got into Miramax, I really thought I wanted to be a um, casting agent. And CAA is one of the big agents and agencies in LA. And it's, they have an, uh, a junior talent agent program where they, where they train you for their agency program. And it's very difficult to get in. And if you get in, you get in. And once you're in, man, what a great opportunity. So I really, really, really wanted to get into this program, right? And I think I tried to get in, didn't get in. But what happened was after the Miramax experience, particularly after working with this producer and learning how to produce, um, you know, featurettes and behind the um, camera, you know, behind the uh, project kind of events and things like that. I added that to my resume and that allowed me to get a job at a small boutique agency that represented below the line talent Mm -hmm. who are big time people like. Ruth, oh God, what's that sister's name? Ruth, big time costume designer. She just won an Oscar for um, her work on Black Panther. I wish I could remember that sister's name. But the agency I worked for repped people like that. Big time cinematographers, big time editors, big time, um, you know, costume designers. Whereas CAA represented talent above the line, the actors and the producers. I couldn't get in there. But like I said, after the Miramax experience, I was able to get in at a major below the line agency. And boy, that opened the doors, hmm. you know. Hmm. So anybody watching now that I'm talking this all out for it, I'm re- it's all coming back to me. When I was in film school, all the advice that my teachers gave me about how to get in and what to get on your resume. If you can get at an agency, get at an agency. If you can get at a major studio, get in. Right. If you can get in at a, a TV um, studio, Get in at a TV studio, get all that on your resume and it will open doors. And I am testimony that is so true, because once I got that agency experience on my resume, I get I got in at MTV. I got in at Paramount. Jim Henson. I mean, I grew up watching the Muppets. Yes. Right. Yes. He's dead, long dead now. But I ended up working for his son and daughter. Right. So because they ran the Jim Henson company at the time. So, yeah, I, I can talk and talk. So please feel free to interject. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. And no, no, not at all. Boy, that's a hellacious echo I'm hearing. But right. um, no, because, you know, what? all of this is good, because the one thing that you're really letting everyone know is the art of listening. Yeah, because the one thing that you did in film school was you listened to your instructors and you internalized what they told you. But then more importantly, once you listened, learned, internalized it, you put it into action when you got where you were going. 
And so often you run across so many people. Well, this is not happening for me. This is not happening. Well, I put up a post the other day because person that I love to listen to Eric Thomas, the hip hop preacher. And he said, if three, if you go to three people and they tell you the same thing and you're still going to people asking them that question, you're not seeking knowledge. You're seeking attention. And so often people will hear something just like your instructors told you. If you're looking to break into the business, this is how you do it. And they keep telling you, keep telling you, keep telling you. And then you get out in the world and you didn't do anything they said. But now you're complaining about, well, I don't know how to bring it to the bit. And then someone else tells you the same thing. And you don't listen to them either. So the art of listening is so important because, again, you listen, you incorporate it, and then you put it into action. So. It's okay that you're talking about this because whoever listens to this, I really want them to get that point. You have to listen. As they say, you have two ears and one mouth. So close your mouth, open your ears, listen to to what someone is teaching you, and then turn around and incorporate that into your business. So you start interviewing people on a great. So now when, when was your first interview? When did you have your first interview and how did that transpire? Cause you go from post-production and then God, that journey is very interesting. So I won't let me, so let me tell you. So you have to understand that I worked in post-production and once I got out of Miramax, my job titles kind of changed. So from each job I was either working in, I would move. I moved to marketing. I moved to publicity. When I worked at MTV VH1, I was um, helping to co-produce a reality series mm-hmm. that never made it to air. And in between, and then and then I spent nine, eight to nine, I think nine years at Parade Magazine, working in marketing and promotions. Now it was during that time that I developed a passion for blogging. And specifically blogging about pop culture and entertainment, right? Because I was working for an entertainment magazine. So also at that time, what's, what was starting to pop up on the internet was entertainment blogs. We started to see people like Perez Hilton come to prominence, mm-hmm. D-Listed, Sandra Rose, a lot of the black blogs like Nicole Richie, no, Nicole Bitchy, I'm sorry, Crunk and Disor- Disorderly. All of these, these, you know, white owned and black independent bloggers mm. were making a killing from advertising dollars, just talking crap about pop culture. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the mainstream outlets like People Magazine, Entertainment Re- Weekly, whatever they were reporting about, you saw these independent kind of vo- voices create their own platforms on the Internet and just talk smack and write about it and create a following. And I thought to myself, well, I can do that, right? So I started creating my own little blog and writing about celebrities. That parlayed into, I did that for a number of years, and that parlayed into a online radio station that I had for a while. Me and a friend, we were co-hosting this radio station called Dirty Licious Talk Radio, and it was a it was very adult-themed 
conversations, right? And we were always kick, getting kicked off our platform because, you know, we were just, we were too raunchy. So I was doing that. I did that for a number of years. I did the radio host on and off, ran my little pop culture blog while still working in the business. And then one day about seven years ago, this guy, um, his name is Lee Bailey. He is a radio veteran, you know, a, a big time voice in the radio industry he runs an outlet called EURweb.com. He was looking for a writer. And I think I sent him, he saw samples of my work. And he's like, yeah, you you know what? Let's do it. I need a writer. It was like an emergency thing because I think his writer, writer quit. And so he hired me. And um, the next day he put me in front of Steve Harvey. <laughs> I was not ready for that. Wow. You have to understand wow. before that even happened. You have to even understand before that happened. Quickly, let me just say this. Before that happened, I had reached a, a break because this is what happens in the entertainment industry. First of all, when I was in film school, a film teacher told us, don't expect to go out there and, and, and make it right away. The teacher said, it'll take you 10 years to, to, to get where you want in the business and then another 10 years to even establish yourself, right? So I moved to LA with that in mind. I said, it's going to take me 20 years to just to do whatever it is I want to do. I didn't go in rushing it at all, to be honest with you. Right. So with that in mind, it got to a point where if you are, if you're working in the business long enough and you live in L.A. long enough, you are going to experience a mental break, a crack. And that happened to me. And the moment that happened, I had been working in an office for well over 10 years, 15 years. I was so exhausted. I was so tired. The last job I had, I was a co-producer at, Mir at Hallmark, Hallmark Channel. And then I lost that gig. And I was sitting in my apartment, unemployed. Now, you have to remember, before I lost that gig, I remember going into the bathroom so stressed out at, at, at that office. And I was thinking to myself, Lord, I am a writer. Can you please bless me with a job where I don't have to deal with these crazy nine to five MFers, can I please have a job where I can write? I don't need to be rich, Lord. Just, I just want to keep the roof over my head. About a week later, I lost that job. I'm sitting in my apartment, thinking about how I'm going to pay the rent. And then, boom, I get the job writing. Like, literally, like, like the, the, that, that prayer was answered. I get this job writing within the month. It wasn't even too long after I lost the Hallmark job. I get the job writing for Lee Bailey's EURweb.com. And I said, look at God. And the next day he put me in front of Steve Harvey. Now you have next, you have to real, realize this is a quick testimony. And I share this because the, the power to keep going, like you said, a lot. And I know a lot of people who gave up in the industry because it didn't happen. Their dreams didn't happen fast enough. I know people who committed suicide because their mm. dreams didn't happen fast enough, right? And that day before, I was going to oh, go interview Steve Harvey. Like, yeah, it, it had been a few weeks since I lost that job because I was broke as hell. I was so broke. I couldn't even, this is my truth. I was so broke. I couldn't even wash, go to the um, washing machine in my building to wash my clothes. I had no money to wash, like clean clothes for my interview. But I managed to find something like a dress that I hadn't worn in a while, like a church dress. 
I managed to find something and put it together, some rags to make it work. And I remember being in tears the whole way going to that interview, like A, proud of myself, but B, like, man, the struggle is so real, real. but thank you, God, for this blessing, right? And I remember, and I remember telling my mom after the Steve Harvey interview, just that struggle, right? And crying to her about like wanting to get out of the, the rut, you know what I'm saying? She said, all you have to do is say to God more, please, because he just he answered your prayers by giving you this job writing. He put you in front of Steve Harvey. Now, all you have to do is say more, please. Thank you, God, more, please. And I, I swear to you, I did that, Floyd. And the interviews just start rolling in. Like by that week, I was at Oprah Winfrey's own Oprah Winfrey's own interviewing the cast of like Sweetie Pies and Tyler Perry shows and. And it's a miracle. And I'll say this about my Steve Harvey. I was so nervous going in front of Steve Harvey because I'm like, okay, Steve Harvey is serious. I got to be, I got to come correct with that brother. And I remember thinking to myself going into that interview, man, I don't know if my questions are good enough, right? I feel so amateur. And at the end of that interview, Steve Harvey, he's like, what's your name again? I said, nice. He said, Nye McGee, you were great. Your questions were great. This is one of the best interviews I've had today. And I want to thank you for, you know, and I, I still have the audio. I saved that audio. And I remember, remember I told you I walked into the interview. I was going to the train. I can see her. I was like, oh my God, I'm so broke. I can't pay rent, but I'm going to pay. I'm going to talk to Steve Harvey. Then I left the interview just feeling so like proud, you know, and that really opened the doors for, I mean, since Steve Harvey, I think I've, inter- I think I've interviewed at this point, everybody as a kid that influenced me to want to be in the film business, influence my writing. Uh, once I started working in the business and started, you know, tapping into talent indirectly through their people mm-hmm. on projects mm-hmm. and finding inspiration through that, I've now, you know, seven, eight years later, have interviewed damn near everybody that has has touched this black girl from the Midwest. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. 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 Now, you know what? It's interesting. <laughs> The uh, Steve Harvey interview and the fact that this is a gentleman that I listened to at my lead. He said things don't happen to you. They happen for you. Right. And that was and, and, and and he and he talks about the fact that sometimes things will happen for people that ain't that damn good. And they're sitting there like, I don't have a job. I don't have a this. But what they're not understanding is the blessing order has already been put in. But in order for you to receive it, I got to get you out of this situation. And the interesting thing about your first interview being Steve Harvey is if anyone is familiar with Steve Harvey's story, about how he got Showtime at the Apollo. And it is so, God is is amazing because that aligned up so perfectly because of all the people that you could have interviewed, you interviewed the gentleman who talked about the fact that he had no money when he was offered a job in New York and had absolutely no idea how he was going to get there. And then the, the dominoes just started to fall in place. Someone calls him and says, hey, do you want to do this comedy show? It's going to pay you this amount of money. And that's going to be able to, that'll uh, allow you 
to to get that ticket to New York. So the fact that he that 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 gives you chills. The fact that Steve Harvey, whose story was so similar to your own that it ain't funny, is your first interview. And, and you probably didn't even make that connection when you were I didn't. at the moment, because as you were sitting Here's here the talking, thing. I was like, oh, wow. I never made the connection until now, until you just said it, right? That, <laughs> so I hadn't even thought about yeah. that. If I could share with you one sure, other please, really quick please, um, please. story. Before I moved to Los Angeles, I was working... I, I think I was still in film school at the time. I was waiting tables. And I remember getting fired from this. It was Chili's. I remember getting fired from Chili's. And I was so distraught because I got fired over a lie. Okay. And me, the person that I don't lie, I'm like, so, you know, some people might say, well, now I can be a bit of a, you know, a ball buster. But people who really know me know I'm a nice person. I don't lie. I don't treat people like crap. Right. I believe in karma. So the fact that I was fired over a lie was so distraught. I was so distraught. So I'm in my early 20s at the time and I was at home in my living room and I was motivated. Like my mother again, I was talking about how to how to turn this negative into a positive. And so she's like, well, why don't you write a little script? You know, you want to write movies, write a short story and film it and raise money. So, okay, I'm like, all right. So I'm sitting in the living room. I'll never forget this. This is over 20 years ago, folks. So I'm sitting in the living room. I'm writing my little short story. And at the time, Jill Scott just hit the scene. Jill Scott's first album was out. Beautiful. She was all the rage. And she was nominated that year for like Soul Train Award. She was nominated for everything because she was hot, 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 Jill Scott. So I remember sitting there watching Jill Scott on the red carpet of some award show. And they're asking her about, you know, her journey as a first time nominee and first time artist and I'll never forget this, Floyd. She said one day she's sitting in her office doing a nine to five and she realized that she quit. She quit her job. She realized a nine to five is not for me. It's not for me. I'm an artist. I'm a singer songwriter. This is what I got to do. And those words, like they hit me like scripture and they stayed with me throughout film school, throughout college, throughout L.A. move. And I almost get teary eyed thinking about this. Okay. So forgive me if I get emotional. No. But I'll, I'll shut it down. That's, that's okay. No. I'll try no, not no. to get emotional. A couple years ago, I got to interview Jill Scott in person about this. Um, she was playing a, um, and these are happy tears because I couldn't have foreseen this moment coming. She was playing a Lifetime movie about the water contamination in Flint, Michigan. She was playing a mom. And they invited me down to Lifetime to interview her. And of course, you can't imagine the whole time I'm thinking to myself, Jill Scott's words that 20 years ago about nine to five is not for you, I'm an artist. That's been like my, my mantra my entire life. Even when I've gone into nine to fives and I've I'm grateful for every nine to five job that I've had in the film industry because I've learned a lot. But in the back of my mind, there was always Jill Scott's voice. You don't belong here. You're an artist. You don't belong here. You're an artist. And that day I got to meet Jill Scott at the end of our interview. I told her that I recounted. I said, Jill Scott, you you don't understand 
over 20 years ago, I'm sitting in my, I had to be 20, 21 years old. I'm sitting in my living room watching your interview and watching you talk about why you quit your job and your words. And she remembered exactly that. And I said, those words have stayed with me and have inspired me and have carried me through every every obstacle and challenge I've had to overcome dealing with the crazies at nine to five and to have the opportunity to sit here and tell you this is like mind blowing. I couldn't contain my tears. I started bawling in front of this woman. She had to take me by the hand. I said, Jules, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't expect <laughs> to cry. Like I did not expect to cry. Right. right? She's like, it's okay. I understand. But Floyd, Talk about God's work. Like, I couldn't have imagined that I would be in front of Jill Scott to tell her the impact that that moment had on my life. Right. So I just I have I have tons of testimonies like that. But that's just one that really stands out because it's one that it's 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 one that, you know, I look back on often. Even every time I see Jill Scott, I think to myself, you know, I go like to to the Lord, like, wow, God works you have to laugh sometimes at God's magic and God's love. But here's you know? the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Faith without works. You had the faith, but you all, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening now, or if you're going to be listening at a later date, understand that. And we talk about manifestation all the time and, and, and putting, putting it out in the universe you know, whoever or whatever that you believe in, you have to put it out there. You have to manifest it. But here's the thing that you have to do after you do that. You have to put in the work so that when that manifestation that you've put out comes to fruition, you're prepared for it. You're ready for it. Oftentimes people say, I'm just going to put it out there and, and, and I'm going to wait on the Lord. He never said sit still. He never said sit still. So you have to study, you have to, you have to, you know, learn your craft. You have to do all the things so that when you get an interview with Jill Scott, you're ready for it. When you get an interview with Steve Harvey, you're ready for it. Because if you're unprepared, the opportunity that has present been presented to you that you prayed for, that you asked for may never come again. So again, if you're listening now, or if you're going to be listening later, the thread that has run through this particular podcast that that we've been discussing is the fact that Nye always, 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 and I'm going to say always one more time, always put in the work. Yeah. What was. Yeah. If I can know? add on to that. Sure. Oh, please. Yeah. yeah I want to just give you an example of putting in the work, how important, how I can't stress that enough. Just to give you an example, people. Last month, I got the opportunity to interview Alicia Keys, okay? A couple of days later, jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt's people, he's an actor, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, A-list actor, his people hit me up about interviewing him for a project. However, there's always a couple of steps to this. You might get hit up by a talent's representatives to promote something, but they still need to get the studio's approval. The studio may not like your outlet may not like that reporter, may not like, you know, so it's like everybody, all, everybody has to be working in conjunction or it's vice versa. The studio may say, hey, Nye, we want you to interview our talent. Let's get it clear with the rep. And if the rep doesn't approve, right? 
So it was one of those things where I interviewed Alice, um, Alicia Keys, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's people who hit me up for an interview. I'm like, yes, of course I want to interview him. So they put in the request. His people came back with, well, they want to know, have you interviewed any high, high, any high profile celebrities? Now, that usually comes when they see that I work for a black outlet that maybe they're not familiar with. Now, if I was representing People Magazine or The Hollywood Reporter, they wouldn't have come back and asked me that. But that's their subtle way of saying, you work for the Black Urban Outlet. Have you interviewed any high-profile people? So, you know, I got to send them. So I happened to send them, you know, oh, yeah. So I sent them my my Alicia Keys interview and my uh, Keegan-Michael Peel and a whole bunch of other people. And they came back right away with, oh, my God, yes, yes, yes. So example of putting in the work, I had put in the work, talking to all these previous A-listers, gave it to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's people. They liked it. They approved it. Happened again just recently, a couple weeks ago, Tom Hanks. I've loved Tom Hanks since I was a kid. Tom Hanks people hit me up. They're like, do you want to interview Tom Hanks for his new movie, Finch? I'm like, yeah. They're like, okay, do you have any high profile celebrities that you've interviewed? Any examples? I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I do. Here's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Here's Alicia Keys. <laughs> and they came back with perfect. Here's Tom Hanks on the platter for you. So putting in the work, people, there you go. Perfect example. <laughs> so you're going to be interviewing one of my favorite, favorite actors of all time going way, way. I love, love, love. Wow, he is such a good, uh, phenomenal actor. And you know what? From everything that I've seen and read about him, he's an even better person. Yeah. And and that's what makes it, it so nice. And the fact that he's been married to the same, you know, phenomenal female actress for, for such a long time, because I'm, I'm a family guy. I just I just love that. And, and and it's so interesting. It is what it is, but it's it's so interesting how we as black folk have to always prove ourselves and give that extra credential. Because my thing is this. If you didn't think I was capable, you would not have reached out to me. Thank you. Exactly. Why are you It's, it's one of those things where you got my name from someplace. Someone passed me on to you and said, mm-hmm. hey, this is who you should reach out to at this outlet. So you already know that I come, you know, prepared and professional right. with the credit. So exactly. exactly. I, come with, I come with receipts. But OK. Yes. To, to, to settle your nerves. Because I understand that, you know, you want to protect your A-list client and, and you don't want them, you know, whatever, whatever. But again, and especially when you're operating at this level. Yeah. No one. In, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, here, here's, here's something. No one is going to pass anyone's name along at that level if it's going to blow up in their face. Because... Right. It's it's like the, I always give the Donnie Brasco example when Al Pacino spoke for Johnny Depp and Al Pacino. If you've ever seen that movie before, if not, please go watch it. But Al Pacino speaks for Johnny Depp and everybody's like, yo, so you're going to you speaking for him. And Al Pacino like he good people. I'm speaking for him. We all see how that went. It's the same way with this. If they speak for you and it goes wrong, that could really derail their career. So yeah. when people say, well, Floyd, can you? No, I cannot. I'm not doing that because that's my name on the line. And it's taken yeah. years to get to that. But I want to talk about that really quick because we're, we're almost done. 
you said something very interesting about the 20 years that it's going to actually take you to make it. And yesterday I was thinking about something and I started counting the amount of years that I've been doing this and it's about 17. And it's interesting because now things are really beginning to happen. I'm interviewing people such as yourself. Uh, I'm interviewing, you know, the, the head of bronze studios and things, you know, Brenda Gilbert and, and just, you know, producers and it's just amazing. But then, you know, as I was doing, you know, an internal inventory, I thought back on everything that I had to do to get to this point. And, and, you know, I, I just really want people to understand that this is not a fast business. It's not a fast business and it's going to take you really operating in the trenches as you've just so eloquently stated for the past hour in order for, for things to bear fruit, you got to plant seed. And sometimes you're going to plant seed for a long damn time in order for that one phenomenal harvest. So, yeah. so, you know, but, but yeah, but I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I just wanted to add on sure, to that really please, quickly. Please, He's right. please, please. He's absolutely right. I got time, um, girl. You got time. I got time. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I got time. If, if here's the thing, <clears throat> if you, it's like I said at the top of our conversation, if you don't already come to this business well-connected, if you don't come to this business with money, right, if you're not born into it, if you're not born with money, born with uh, a family member that owns a studio, you are going to be sowing seeds for a long time. But the important, you have to be sure you're sowing the right seeds, right? Yes. I, you have to remember what I said was very true. I came out the womb with a full understanding of my destiny ever since I was a kid. All I did was write and tell stories. You know, my grandmother owned a, a hair salon after school when she would be doing her client's hair. You know, I would be sitting at the, their feet while they're in the styling chair, reading them the stories that I've written for the day in school. Mm. So I always knew that writing and story, storytelling and working in the business was what I was what I was meant to do and going to do. Once I got there, I had a plan. Okay. Say that again. I think a lot of exactly. I had a plan and I followed the plan as wild as that may seem. And I didn't let anything distract me from the plan because here's the thing. When you live in LA and you and you're you are struggling paycheck to paycheck, like most artists are in LA, that's distraction enough. Keeping a roof over your head is distraction enough. I never had time to do anything other than work and create, work, create, work, create, right? And stay focused. And then my problem was over the years, I always got bored, I always would get to a place. Once I felt like I attained the knowledge that I was meant to attain in any one spot, I was ready to go. Right. And I'm, and I'm just going to say this as, you know, I'm not trying to sound weird or trip anybody out. I've discovered over the years that I have this gift to manifest. I didn't know this fully when I was a kid, but now that I'm fully coming into adult womanhood, um, I'm learning. And I only, I'm going to be honest, I only realized this when I was at my lowest point, right? Going back to the Steve Harvey days, that time period when I was unemployed, broke as hell, had no money, could barely put a roof over my head. I remember going to interview Spike Lee with sh holes in my shoes. I couldn't afford to buy new pairs of shoes. I remember walking to the bus stop, I mean, to the train station thinking, 
I got holes in my shoes. Stop. Spike Lee doesn't have to worry about holes in his shoes. But you know what? I kept going because I knew it was temporary. You know, I knew this was a temporary pit stop, right? And it was during the lowest time that I realized I had this gift to manifest. And ever since then, and ever since learning how to hone in on that, I started saying to the universe and how you speak things into the universe, okay, I'm ready for this experience now. And it would happen. You know, I distinctly remember sitting at Paramount Studios. I'll know if I live to see 80, I'll never forget this. I distinctly remember sitting at Paramount Studios in the finance department, bored out of my mind. Okay, I was so over this job and I was ready to move into TV because I had been working from movie studio, movie studio, movie studio. I was ready. I was sitting at the desk and I said, Lord, I'm ready to work for TV. I was reading the back of the trades, Hollywood Reporter, Jim Henson Studio, a whole bunch of TV studios were looking for this, that and the other. I said, bump this. I'm going to apply. Jim Henson called me in like the next day. Mm. Right. And I feel bad that I left Paramount high and dry. But I just remember sitting there like, okay, Lord, it's time for the studio. And I realize now, was it even me saying that or was it the Lord saying, okay, it's time for the TV studio? Because boom, he led me where I needed to be, right? So I say that to anybody listening. If you're gonna, if you're trying to break into this business or even if you are and you feel like you're stuck, what's your plan? What's your objective, right? And that's where you start. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, because they don't have a plan and they don't have an objective, what they do is they get into the business and you know what they do? They realize that the easy way to get in is by all the dark, the dark ways you get into the business, you know, sleeping your way to the top, which is very easy to do, letting people turn you into a drug abuser. So then you can be used by the people who, you know, push you up to the top when you're still being used and abused. And I've seen that happen. A lot of people will fall into because it's easier Mm -hmm. to sleep with someone to get your foot in the door. Right. But it leaves you so empty and so dead on the inside because it's such a temporary rush. Right. I never went that route. And one thing I'll tell you this to this day, I have a boss that says to me, he thinks it's so interesting He's worked in the, te- he, this is a man in his 60s. He's working worked in the inter- entertainment business way longer than me. He said, I'm the one of the few people that he knows where when an event is over, I leave. He said, you don't stick around and hobnob with celebrities. You're not a groupie. <laughs> he said, I don't see anything like that. You just do your work and you go. I said, that's because in this business, all you have is your name in this business. Yes. And I don't yes. want the name of being that girl that's just I'm I'm hanging up celebrities' asses. Part of my language, looking. I, I never want to look like a groupie, mm-hmm. and that has worked to my advantage because before COVID, when I would go to uh, uh, events in LA, you know, and if I would see celebrities, especially black celebrities that I interviewed in the past, they recognize me, and it, it's a respect that I receive from them when we acknowledge each other in passing. It's not like the groupie girl. Let me, you know what I'm saying? Let me, mm, let me go. Yeah, mm. exactly. It's always a, hey, you, what's mm. going on? How have you been? You know, and that's, I've made a point to, to create that image. You know, I remember years ago, someone invited me to an after party 
at Robert De Niro's home. I didn't want to go. My coworker was like, you're not going to go? But it's Robert De Niro. He's invited us. It was the company I work for. He's invited us to his home. Very intimate. And my, here's the thing. Here's why I don't want to go to these parties. And here's why I never went to an after party party at someone's mansion where it's like small groups. A, I don't know you. B, I've seen too many horror movies. Too many movies of people being trapped in somebody's house, can't get out, <laughs> eaten alive. No, thank you. Did you write science fiction too? Science fiction Girl, too. Exactly. That's, that's a movie. They got you in a they got you in a basement experiment knowing you. No. Exactly. No. I am straight. These homes in the hills where you need a code to get into the gate. Then it's three miles to get up to the house. Mm-hmm. No thanks. I'm staying right here. So yeah. Hey, everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment, and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. Like you said, the through line, I know you were probably at our time. The through line, like you said, we're fine. We're fine. No, we're fine. Yeah. Like you said, the through line is be prepared, be prepared and don't sell yourself. Right now. If I want to tell you something really quickly, Floyd, really quickly, the industry, black folks now in the industry have a far greater advantage now than I did when I entered in the late nineties, early two thousands. Here's why. Because Hollywood now is so money hungry on the diversity trend. I can't tell you the number of managers and producers that I talk to who, A, they want the black woman writer, the black male writer, the trans black, anything LGBTQ, regardless of race, anything black, of course, of course, they still want the black trauma stories. Let's not get that, you know. <laughs> they always right? want those. They always want the black trauma, but now they want more of it. They want to see more um, Jordan Peele's. They want more Ava DuVernay's. They want more Issa Rae's, right? How long will this last? I don't know. I interviewed, I've shared this on Clubhouse um, before. I interviewed Jimmy Iovine. You, y'all probably know Jimmy Iovine, the music industry vet. A couple years ago, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre were promoting their documentary on HBO called The Defiant Ones. And I got to interview both of them for this. I'm just, I'm trying to remember what Dre was talking about. Dre's conversation has never stood out to me as much as Jimmy's because what Jimmy said was, we were talking about diversity in LA and Hollywood. And Jimmy said, in his opinion, in 10 years, now again, he said this about four or five years ago. He said, in his opinion, in 10 years, Hollywood will be diverse to the point where not over 50% of the writers, executives, producers will be black Americans. Wow. I've yeah, I've shared that with black content creators and they don't agree with him at all. Hmm. As a matter of fact, I've yet to meet, meet one black content creator who agrees with that his his stance on that, right? But what we're seeing is is a push towards that. So 
anybody watching this broadcast now or later and they're wanting to get into the business as an actor and or writer, especially if you are a content creator of color, now is your time. There is no excuse right now. If you come to the table prepared, meaning a resume, a reel, and what's something we said at the beginning, a lot of people now, when you're, when you, if you don't have a network, people, build your network. Be the center of your network. If you don't have producers on your team that you can tap into, actors, directors, photographers, editors, there's no excuse in this digital age where between Clubhouse, Facebook, Twitter, all these social media apps where these filmmaking communities are gathering to share ideas to share their content, to share the apps and the resources that they're using to create content on a low budget. There's no excuse for black content creators now who want to break in. The 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 work this this particular industry, at least the independent realm of filmmaking or breaking in, I feel like, you know, you are the shark in the big fit in the ocean, right? Because you're in, it's the, the red sea, blue sea, and you're in the blue sea right now. Right? My advice is come to the table with something. If you have a script, you don't have money for a budget that you need a budget for, right? Or you need a producer. What are you bringing to the table? Because that's what people want to know today. Someone, you know, a bartering system. Can you work sound for the person that does lights? Can you handle catering for the person that's going to act? Can you, you know, monitor, you know, be a security point, you know, for producer contact? So I say that because it's something you said at the top of the hour, Floyd, which is ask. You know, people are always asking for something, but they're never, they're rarely saying, what can I give? What can I bring? These days, you're going to have doors open for you, many doors open for you if you're coming to the table with offers with brings with help with people are and and not only that but remember this and i'll land on this don't bring more to the table than you can live up to because like i said your name is the only thing you have in this business you don't want to promise someone or some production that you can do something and then you don't deliver because that spreads. Yes. You know, people yeah. will be like, don't hire that person. Don't use that person because she promised me this or he promised me this and they didn't deliver. You know, don't stretch yourself too thin, too far, as they say, and 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 um, and always deliver, because if you deliver, you build your 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 network. Right. And your network, as they say, is your net worth. And you can get far in this business. That's what's worked for me. See, y'all just got a master class. You yeah. just got a master class. I mean, for real, for real. And, and, and it's for the low, low price of free 99 because right? everything that she said is so spot on. And it's, it, okay, first of all, under promise, over deliver. That is one of my pet peeves. When people say, I'm a this, 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 and then you don't get anything. And I am the type of person, I have a I have a memory like an elephant, I'm sorry, and I'm going to remember that. And if someone says, well, would you recommend this person? Then I'm not going to get out there and I'm not going to badmouth anybody, but the, the nonverbal answer will be answer enough. Mm -hmm. is, is, is what I'm Absolutely. saying. If they're like, well, shut up. Absolutely. You know what? Hey, you you know, it's your protest. You do what you want. But, hmm, okay, right. But it, it's it's just so amazing. And, and it's, you, you said something really interesting. And I'm going to really let you go. 
I have had people that have told me regarding Clubhouse that the app does not work for them. And I look at them and I say, well, no, you're not working the app. Because the people that I've met on this app, and I, I came on last December, and the people that I've met in 11 months, not in my wildest dreams, did I think that I would be friends, real friends, with a lot of them. And we're building a phenomenal friendship, which is great. Yes. And heads of studios, showrunners, people that are really in the know. And here's the beautiful the beautiful thing about that. I am learning the way the business really really works. Yes. And it is so different than what people who are not in the know think. Yes. So that when I talk to a lot of our people and I'm and I'm saying to them, "Well, this is the way things are." And this is the way things work. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about, I say, trust me when I tell you that I'm getting it from the source that this is the way things work. And what you were just talking about, about this being the most opportune, opportune time for creators of color. That is so true because I was talking to a showrunner. I'm not going to give his name, but he works for free works for BET showrunner. And he was saying when he hears people talk about, well, there's no opportunities for black people, black people, black people. He turns around, he walks away. He said, because at no time like the present are the opportunities this great. He says, because that's all they talk about at these mm -hmm. studios is where's the black this, where's the black that. So when he says, people say, well, ain't nothing popping off. Well, again, are you lining yourself up and are you putting in the work so people will know that you're there? Is your, is your resume is your resume together? You know, is is your is your is your press kit together? Is your pitch is your pitch deck together? Is your reel together? Is everything together so that when you again you get that opportunity, you're ready because they're looking. But this is what they're not looking for, ladies and gentlemen. They ain't looking for shit. And they ain't looking for trash because that's, right. that's their money that they're putting. See, here we go. It's the as, as Cheryl Bedford likes to say, it's the business of show. Ain't no show without the business. So that's right. You are not coming to the table ready to do business. And this is why I teach filmmakers. You got to have the right mindset and you have to have a business acumen. I just want to create my friend. You selling a product. You're selling a product. And if you're selling a product, then you have to learn how to do business and, and move like a company. That's what I tell yes. filmmakers. You have to consider yourself a business entity. All that. I'm a filmmaker. Throw that out. Because yeah. you're, you're in the business of film. That's what you are. You're in the business of film. And if you... It, okay. You could be sitting in a movie theater and they will show you a trailer of a film that's not coming out until the next year. They are setting you up. They are grooming you so that when mm -hmm. that product hits the market, you, the consumer, will run to buy it vis-a-vis -vis get your movie ticket. Yep. So black folk that are listening to this podcast and anybody else for that matter, 
If you are not operating as a business, you are doing yourself a disservice. Now, I'm going to get your comments on that, and then we can get you out of here. <laughs> so what do you have to say to that? Listen, that's you're absolutely 100% correct. You yourself, the minute, here's the thing. They always told me in film school from day one, the first day of film class, you are now working in the film business. So <laughs> even though I wasn't working in the film business, they put you in the mind frame from that moment. You are now working in the film business. Now, with that, you have to, like you just said, you yourself, you are pitching. Regardless of your talent, you are your brand, right? You're pitching yourself as a brand. Your work is an extension of your brand. You know how they say fake it until you make it? Well, I learned a quote on Clubhouse, bake it until you make it, meaning bake your your content. Like a, a, a pie maker or a cake maker is in the kitchen whipping up various pies, various cakes, various desserts to present to the masses. Some of them are, are going to be hits. Some of them are going to be misses. But the, the but the chef is prepared. Right. A lot of times we're taught in the film business, fake it until you make it, meaning lie and say you did this or you got that. You can do this. You can do that. And then when it's time for you to 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 to, to present, you can't do it mm -hmm. because you've lied your way into the boardroom and all the people, the executives, they're, they're expecting you to deliver what you say. You can do this. You said you can do that. And you've misrepresented your brand. You've misrepresented your company instead of faking it until you make it. Bake it until you make it. Build your brand, build your company, meaning yourself, right, up with your, with works that represent who you are, whether it's photography, whether it's podcasts, whether it's scripts, whether it's an acting reel, directing reel, producer's reel, right? That's part of your business. You're in the business of selling your goods, your surf, your, excuse me, yourself, yourself, your services, your craft. You can talk a good game about everything you do, but people are going to see examples. I could tell people all day that I've interviewed this, that, and the other, but... Can I see it? Can I see it? So, yeah, let me direct you to these links. You know, let me direct you. And like you just said, that is how you have to get into the mind frame of approaching the, the business of show. The, the business of show business, I should say, Denzel Washington said the same thing. That's one thing I learned in the 20 plus years working in offices in the film business, the business side of show business. And like you said, people who don't work in the entertainment industry, they have no idea who and what it really takes to make the industry run. And believe it or not, it's your press people like me. Because without people putting the word of mouth out and working with the studios to create the press releases, right? You One thing I've learned before we wrap, I couldn't have really fully appreciated this. You know, you hear, before you get in the business, you hear, oh, stars, they're just like us. Celebrities, they're just like the rest of us. You can't really fully appreciate that until you're in the space of these people, right? <laughs> That's why my boss, it's so easy. Like I told you, the boss who said to me, nah, after events, you just leave. 
because I've been around celebrity enough now to know. I look at these people and you realize it, it sm- slaps you in the face. They are just like us, right? Once you realize there's no effing difference between these people other than a screen, you don't treat them like gods. Really quickly, I'll give you one quick example, really quickly. <clears throat> Ed Harris, I'm a huge fan of Love Ed Harris, him. right? I got a chance to interview Ed Harris some years ago for Westworld, before Westworld came out. When the interview was done, I wanted so bad to go up to Ed Harris and ask for a photo and autograph, but I said, I'm gonna keep it professional. So I walk away, I go into the bathroom at the event. When I'm coming out of the bathroom, Ed Harris is walking past me and he's going into the bathroom. And in that moment, that moment, it just speaks to what I'm saying. I recognized him not as Ed Harris, the movie star, but just a man walking to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. He had to go, girl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, I share all that to say, I kind of hope that answers your last question, people. Be prepared. You yourself, you, you are your entity. You are your brand. You are your business. And what you put out there is what potential clients and or coworkers are going to see. You know, what you put out on social media, how you promote yourself. Whatever you do, people, I will land on this. If you are serious about getting in content creation, keep your social media pages related to your work and business separate from your professional, your personal life, because your politics can interfere with any potential job. So that's if I if you don't take anything away from this podcast today, keep your social media, which is very important. I hate that we didn't get a chance to touch on that. Social media is very important in, in this in this day and age in entertainment. But keep your social media related to your work separate from your your personal life. And I will land on that, boy. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Well, first of all, where can people find you? Mm. Okay. Yes. So I am on Clubhouse. If you're on Clubhouse, Nine McGee, please, because um, I do host rooms. Follow me there. Also, I want to announce to anybody who's watching this who is a writer. Soon, because for my love of writing, I'm soon going to be launching a, I'm working with a team of writers. We're launching a contest soon, a flash fiction contest for writers, 300 word flash fiction contest that the themes are artificial intelligence, AI, alien intelligence. So follow me on Facebook, Nye McGee, N-Y-M-A-G-E-E, same with Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Twitter under Indie Art Swag, I think, Indie Art Swag, I'm not sure. You can find me on Facebook, <laughs> writer Nye McGee or Nye McGee, N-Y-M-A-G-E-E. And yeah, so yeah, um, that's that's my social media. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a masterclass. And you know what? You're going to have to come back because there are some questions that yes. I did not get to ask you, especially about the Time Lord and Doctor Who. We got to talk about oh, that. Oh, my God. We are oh. definitely going to. So I'm going to have to have you back in a couple of yes. weeks. You, you're going to have to come back Please. in a couple of weeks because we got to talk about Please, that. Please, anytime. I'm a, I'm a big Floyd, Doctor Who fan. Time. But are lady, you? Oh, God. We're going to say we're going to say that we're going to say that for the follow up interview, because that was my show. But ladies okay, and gentlemen. Yes. If you've enjoyed this interview, please share it with your friends because Nye has shared so many amazing tips on the way the industry really works that people need to hear. They're they're walking around with a lot of misinformation and disinformation, listening to a lot of people who truly and frankly, frankly, they just don't know what the hell they're talking about. So you've heard it from one of the best sources 
in the business. These are the type of people that I like to bring to this audience because you guys are phenomenal and I, I want everyone to win. So if you like this, again, share it, share it with your friends, tell them to go to Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, all those other good places and, you know, share the podcast and make sure you subscribe. So with that, Nye, this was great. I'm going to hit you up in a couple of weeks because I definitely want you to come back on the show because again, there is so much and that just goes to show you how deep this business is. We have been talking almost an hour and a half and it's stuff that we didn't even touch. Yeah. Yeah. It's stuff that we didn't even yeah. touch. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Wow. We've got, wow. People really like this interview. You should, this, the screen's going crazy, but uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, right on. I, I, if you go on, if you go on the, um, the independent face, independent oh. page, you'll be able to, to, to see it. But um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending an hour and a half of your time with us. Floyd Marshall Jr., Nye McGee, phenomenal entertainment reporter, screenwriter, aspiring time lord. So you got to come back the next time if you if you want to know what I mean by that. You got to come back the next time for the for so we can we can actually talk about Doctor Who, one of my most favorite shows growing up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into a conversation with. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go out and slay the rest of the week. Go do that shit if you're thinking about it. Stop thinking about it and put it into action and manifest it. And once you manifest it, write it down. Yes. Stare at it every single day and repeat it like a mantra every single day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, peace out. Peace out. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Floyd. You are so welcome. Yes, I'm looking forward to coming back. No problem. Anytime. Don't dream it, be it. That's my uh, message for everyone. Don't dream it, be it. Absolutely. That's a good statement. I'm going to have to put that <laughs> on my clubhouse. My clubhouse bio. All right. Take yeah. care, everyone. All right. Take care. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.